Welcome to the Return to the Forgotten Path podcast. Join us on this journey to travel to a forgotten pathway that leads to rest and restoration. This podcast is a weekly Bible study of this week's Torah portion, known as a Parsha. It's a weekly reading according to the Jewish annual Torah cycle. Every week, we will have a discussion filled with both historical and cultural viewpoints as it pertains to the return to the forgotten path that is increasingly happening all around the world. We will review and share opinions from the weekly Torah, also known as the five first books of the Bible or the Mosaic Law. We will also do readings from the Hafsorah and the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament readings. For those who ask, what is the forgotten path? Jeremiah 6.16 puts it like this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Our podcast seeks to point our listeners to that ancient old path through the study of the Bible from the perspective of the Torah, which is properly translated as instructions. And now the blessing before the Torah study. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. This Torah portion is Shemini, which means eighth. The Torah portion comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 9, verse 1 through chapter 11, verse 47. The Haftarah portion is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 13, 16 through 38. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong one. Second Samuel, chapter 6, verse 1 through chapter 7, verse 17. And the gospel portion is from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. If you're following along with us, however, on Hebrew for Christians, um, the Haftarah portion is found in Ezekiel, chapter 36, 16 through 38, and Hebrews eight one verses one through six because this is a special sabbath as it uh, is called shabbat parah we have a special maktir or special reading it is found in numbers chapter 19 verses 1 through 22 shabbat parah amen so this 26th 26th reading from the torah and third reading from the book of leviticus Gets his name from the first words within verse 1, which says, Now it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. It goes on to describe the events of the eighth day after the Mishkan was set up, the worship service, followed by the tragedy with Aaron's two sons. It then continues and concludes with the Introduction of the Biblical Dietary Laws, kosher, kashrut, regarding which animals are fit for consumption and those that are unfit and some understanding as to why they are. So we'll um, get started. I will read the first few verses of this portion before we start the discussion. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you. So now you've got Aaron sitting there bringing um, the sin offering um, on behalf of the nation of Israel. You've got the people bringing their sin offering. You've got the burnt offering. You've got a peace offering. You've got the grain offering. So the king of kings of kings is showing up and everything's being laid out before the glory of the Lord. These are korbanot. These are all the korbanot. Everything's coming today. All right, verse 
5. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people, and bring the offering of the people, and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, he burned all the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burnt up with fire outside the camp. All right. So those are the first few verses. So that's where it starts. The king of kings of kings is coming into the Mishkan. Bless be he, yes. Is coming into the Mishkan. It's been erected. It's been set up. Aaron and his sons have been consecrated, and now it's time, as the saying goes, to go to church. So, <laughs> no, it's not. I don't want anyone being offended because of what he just said. Well, everything's been set up. The preparations are there. Now it's time for worship. Correct. It's it's the meeting time. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so the, the appointed time has come, and what happens directly following um, this interaction where Moses and Aaron, or actually Aaron right now, has slaughtered the, the sin offering. He's dipped his finger in the blood. He's sprinkled it. Um, he's offered up the, he's done the Ola offering, um, the, the fat, the kidneys, the protuberance of the liver for the sin offering. I mean, excuse me, he's done the fat, the kidneys, and the protuberance of the liver from the sin offering. Um, and he turns it into smoke on the altar. Um, the flesh and the skin are being consumed on the outside of the camp. Then um, it says that he then he slaughtered the burnt offering, which is the Ola offering. And then Aaron's sons pass the blood of fat to him, and he dashes that against the sides of the altar. The, the continuation of this is that at the conclusion of this offerings, he then offers the offering for Israel. And thereby he takes a goat for the people's sin offering and he slaughters it and presents it as the, the sin offering like the previous ones. And he brought it forward and it was a burnt offering and sacrifice according to the regulations. Then after making all of the offerings that um, it states in verse uh, chapter 9, verse 22. And Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stopped and he stepped down after offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the offering of well-being, or the shalom offering. And in verse 23, it was brought to our attention that it's often read and like skipped over. Verse 23 reads that after having done the blessing, that Moses and Aaron then went inside the tent of the meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people seemingly again. And then the presence of Adonai appeared to all the people. And then fire came forth from before Adonai and consumed the burnt offering and the fat parts in the altar. And all the people saw it, they shouted, and they fell on their faces. Mm -hmm. So what do you think happened? between verse 22 and 23. Uh, that is an interesting situation there. I think what occurred is that they followed the playbook. They made the sacrifices according to the dress rehearsals and Hashem was pleased. Aaron went in for the tender meeting. He got that for lack of a better phrase, extra anointed, came back out, blessed the people again because it was that those sacrifices were accepted. They blessed the people. Oh, it wasn't accepted until afterwards. Okay. That's that is what this is saying. It's like after in verse twenty four, that's when the fire came down. After he came back out the second time, and so one um, person brought that to attention and said, you know, it was like 
um, the entire dress rehearsal, so to speak. He's new to the job. It's his first day doing the ceremony. He, he fills, fulfills the, the regulations to a T. Mm -hmm. However, nothing happens. And upon nothing happening, um, Moses, who represents the prophet, and Aaron, who represents the high priest, now go before Hashem into the tent of meeting. Mm -hmm. And if you recall, the only person that's supposed to, according to regulation, really is only Aaron that's supposed to go into that tent of meeting. And they come out, when they come out, they bless the people again. Um, and it doesn't say again, but you recognize he did bless them before he lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. Mm -hmm. It says in verse 22. Anyway, the point up more so, it says um, in verse 23, and the, when he comes back out and he blesses, the presence of Adonai appears to the people. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what's important about, you know, we talked about this last week about doing the right thing and not the right thing not being the same thing as righteous because mm -hmm. what the word righteous really means is right standing before Hashem um so you can literally follow the regulations to a complete T you make no error um you're you're possibly going about it the quote unquote the right way but if you haven't prepared the the true sacrifice meaning yourself um then it is not righteous before Hashem. It's not ready to be received before Hashem. And it seems that whatever went on inside the tent of meeting clarified something in terms of Aaron um, being ready to represent the people. And the reason I bring this up is because in, I read it again after someone pointed it out in one of the studies, and I've been listening to quite a few in the past 24 hours, one of the things that they bring out is that um, it seems that the Torah portion is covering this topic of tame, uncleanliness, to holiness. And we talked about that last week, which is that whole entire process of, you know, what these sacrifices were doing and um, being offered was taking something that's unclean and then beginning a process of sanctification so that they can become holy. And so, and we hear that in the end of the Torah portion, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And I think what happened even in this uh, verse is, is, is a representation of that. You can literally be praying a prayer and not necessarily have gotten yourself right as yet. Um, it doesn't mean that you're um, being hypocritical. It just means maybe you haven't confessed what you need to confess you haven't let go of what you may what is preventing you from fully drawing near you you have part of you've come partially but god wants to be whole with you and he needs you to be wholly present with him and so you know surrendering all kind of going back to what i said the old offering really re represents originally is part of the process of offering up this um, burnt offering wholly, completely then. Um, so we're not confusing the words. Um, it completely is a representation of what we ought to be doing within ourselves. And so when you see this transformation, it, that is kind of like the transformation process that happens with us when we are we begin the journey and we're doing the regulations, but something along that path switches. You know, something, yeah, I did this before, I prayed this prayer before, but now it feels different. It has weight to it that of kavod, a, a holiness or a heaviness or a glory that I never had before. And it is a that transformation before where your process or your spirit was saying, you know, I want, I desire to be drawn near to you, but something still was holding you back. And the more you continue to, not really to allow Hashem to pursue you as much as you follow after him, something transformed on the inside of you and you found yourself being welcomed in. And that welcoming in process really was emotionally as much as it is mentally um heavy it is 
um, there's a way to it, there's a reality to it that you can't explain away to someone else that hasn't experienced it. And just as the people saw it, people see the transformation too with us. I can go with that. So everything goes according to plan. The people are blessed and they fall on their faces. So now we go to the, the climactic part of this Parsha with chapter 10 and the first three verses read, Now Nadav and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before Hashem, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said to me. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. That's a whole lot that just went down in three verses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's important that what you mentioned there, uh, that I will read that last line again, please. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified, and Aaron held his peace. Yeah, um, I think that action of, in one verse, it says, what you call sanctification, I show myself holy. And I think where um, we misunderstand sanctification from the perspective of beginning the journey is recognizing or misunderstanding or misrepresenting what that the weight of that the consequences of that is mm -hmm. so an example is um giving your life to the lord and some people suggest that it it doesn't change you um and i i say not so um, they'd say, well, coming up to the altar is kind of thing, you know, coming up to the altar and raising your hand, that's not the transformation point, you know, like, you know, or some people say going into the water for baptism and things of that nature, you know, you, if you went in a, a, a devil, you're going to come back out a wet devil, you know, that type of nonsense. I've heard even in, you know, religious circles and what they're hinting at and possibly kind of glossing over in some ways is the at the heart of the matter is has anything really transformed for you internally and if that hasn't transformation hasn't happened internally then ex the external aspects of what you've been doing is not going to create the holiness it's not going to draw you into holiness and so well, the saying is um, could be seen as accurate on one another sense. It can also be seen as not accurate because what you're ha what's happening on the inside of um, this spiritual uncleanliness transformation into holiness is not always visible until afterwards. It's not visible as you're in the process, um, and so. Uh, some aspects of it can feel like condemnation as you're going through making the decision to follow and your life and the the things that quite frankly don't mirror holiness is still in you and i'm talking about this from a behavioral standpoint but what hashem is talking to uh moshe about because this is the prototype this physical prototype of what is happening spiritually with us both then and now is the the blood of the bull the blood of the goat that wasn't about transforming um the physical cleanliness it wasn't about sprinkling blood to make physically clean it was always about a spiritual transformation and the transformative action of moving from unclean spiritually to clean spiritually and then clean from cleanliness or purity then to holiness being a real process of being transformed you know be you know the renewed covenant says that you know 
be transformed. Um, help me with this scripture. Let me just go and get some. Be not conformed. Be not conformed to this world, but be, thank you. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the the, conf, the conforming nature of the world is kind of seen like, you know, a copy or a vessel, you know, whatever you put water into, that's what it's going to form. But the transformation process of the spirit is a lot like a new vessel. It is a new vessel, a new creation. Some This thing has never existed before. And because it's never existed before, that process of now being cleaned into holy does not always look the same for everyone, but there is an order to it for everyone. And so I, I see as Nadab and Abihu decide that they're going to go out of the order and they're going to take it upon themselves to decide, well, um, I'm going to bring this strange incense. I'm going to provide this strange fire. Although some people have said that their intentions were not for doing evil, but their spontaneity was out of order because in now being in this new state of, because you know the Lord has already received the gift of now you've been deemed holy, now set apart. You literally have to remember set apart things have a set apart use. You know, you don't ultimately then decide that I'm going to use the spirit the way that I want to use it, you know? And you have to be aware that when you are wielding that level of holiness, this thing that Lord has given to you, that he is giving it to you so that his name will be glorified through you, that people can understand his ways and his um, relationship that he desires with mankind in you. And so there's a interesting um, take on this that sometimes we don't see that we sometimes profane his name by our actions. And the action here where Nadal Mehabihu uh, decide that they're going to do this, not only have they profaned his name, they've also kind of despised his order, the order that he's already set for whatever their reasons might have been. They despise the order and the, the way, the path that he's outlining through them so that other people can be drawn to him. So it's like, okay, I can't have you do this because you're going to, you're literally leading other people astray by doing this. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you for that. Um, that covered a lot of what I was going to say. You know, sometimes we think, going back to your first point, that we're doing the right thing for the right reasons, but if it's not done in the right spirit, with the right intentions in the right way, it just falls flat on his face. And, you know, unfortunately this cost them their lives, but as the priests of the house of Israel, you had to follow the playbook exactly how it was given. That's the reason why they were in a seven day rehearsal period. It was not a spontaneous type of event. This, was, this is the way that I will receive you and your offerings. I taught it to you for seven days straight. Maybe they were excited in the moment. Maybe they thought they could put on a show because everybody's out. Who knows? They're not here to tell us. But whatever it was, the cost was the cost. And so we've got to remember, if you're going to walk, just like you said, holy before the Most High God, that you've got to sit there and work in accordance with the rules that have been set. It's not for you to rewrite the playbook. And... What struck me was the last part of verse three, and Aaron held his peace. He's in the middle of this worship service. Two of his sons have died. And while logically he may realize that they did something wrong, they are literally dead in front of him. In the middle of all of this, and he can't say a word. He can't cry, he can't scream, he can't yell, he can't walk out. He is the high priest. And just as you mentioned, you've got to follow the order. You've got to follow the protocol. This is the way Hashem said to do it. You've got to, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the show must go on, but 
he still has to follow the order of service, even though things went from a real high to a very big low in what is written in a few verses. Well, I want to say this is interesting. You know, it's mentioned in chapter 10, verse 7. Um, specifically, um, Aaron speaks to his brothers, Eliezer and Ithmar, and he says to them specifically these words, and I, I thought it was very interesting. He says, and so do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for Adonai's anointing oil is upon you. In other words, to, when I read that, I'm like, you've been set aside for this service. I know your brother just died, but you can't leave until the service, because the oil, the anointing for you to complete this service is upon you. You can't go, you can't attend to anything else. That's, that is, the, that is a huge responsibility that I don't think when we say be holy as your father in heaven solely, do we recognize that there's a set aside assignment and when God has outpoured his assignment on you, there's an anointing to destroy yokes, to break, you know, the evil ties that have bound people and to bring them back into relationship with him, that that assignment means that you have to stay where he's commanded you. Because I think about it, not only in terms of, you know, it, what's being said here to Eliezer and Ithmar, but I think about it in terms of the the disciples uh, or the apostles, where they had an assignment and they were obedient to that assignment to death. Like you, you see it in the life of Paul as he's like, no, I'm going to go, you know, to Rome. And it's like, I know that this time was going to come. Or you see that in the words of Yeshua, where he's like, you know, nevertheless, Father, you know, what he's praying in the garden is like, this is the assignment. The anointing oil is on me. I've been placed in this particular location to fulfill this assignment in this season. And I can't move outside of this, right? I can't, even though my desire would be to be with you and to, you know, be in fellowship with you, the anointing for what is on me needs, this needs to be fulfilled because that is the holiness of being drawn into this relationship. I've been prepared just for this. And if I must be offered as a sacrifice, the sacrifice of my obedience is what the Hashem desires most. I need to be, maintain it. And so when he says to them, don't rend your clothes unless you die of anger, it doesn't mean that you know Hashem is not wanting you to mourn for your brother. But at this time, you still have to fulfill this, the the role that you're in because you represent the whole community. Thank you for rephrasing that. That's what I was trying to say. And hopefully now it's a little bit clearer for those that are listening as to what was meant. All right. So continuing on, but also just re-emphasizing the importance of walking in accordance with Hashem's principles. A lot of times we've been taught that to get into certain offices and positions and responsibilities puts you in a place of distinction, of honor, of you know, celebrity, if you will, without recognizing that there's two sides to that same coin. There's a responsibility and a protocol to it. You know, if we were to take an analogy, let's say, uh, for someone that had medical challenges and you had to stay away from certain foods. Matter of fact, let's use um, kosher, cash food laws. As is coming up at the end of the portion. And I says, hey, these foods are clean. You can eat those. These foods are unclean. Don't eat those. So now as a child of God following in these principles, there's certain foods you just don't eat. If you go to, say, New Orleans and you try to attend um, some of those restaurants that are full of fruits, foods that you can't eat, um, can I have a glass of water? Because you can't eat a lot of what's on that menu. It's just going to, you're not going to go to hell for eating it, but it goes against the principles of what you should be eating. And so, because if you love me, you'll do, you'll do my commandments. You're like, you know what? That's displeasing to my father in heaven. That's not good for me to eat. I'm going to stay away from the shellfish and the fish without scales and all that stuff. 
Likewise with Aaron's two sons, for whatever reason, they went against that protocol. They went against that script. And you're not only taking your liberties with your personal situation, you're taking the entire community with you. And sometimes as leaders, we don't remember. As parents, it's a little bit easier because you recognize that the little ones are following literally behind you in many cases. And so you realize if you step in a wrong place, they're going to literally go doop, doop, and walk right behind you. But we don't always think about it at the same time when we're working in accordance with groups of other adults in work and in ministry, because you kind of think, oh, they can think for themselves, but they're following you as the leader. And they're believing that you're following, that you're leading them as Hashem is giving you guidance and instructions. So be mindful of the responsibility and the weight on both instances. And I won't ever lead you astray. You also have to be responsible for making sure you're following those rules exactly as given and not freelancing because there's no room for that with the saved Lord. So before we get into the clean and unclean animals part to conclude the portion, did you want to say anything else there? Um, I just wanted to uh, kind of bring in Shabbat Parah as it pertains to exactly what happened in the first two chapters. Um, this week, it is considered Shabbat Parah, which is considered the Sabbath of the cow. Um, it is a Sabbath that is celebrated immediately after Purim. Um, it's also considered para because it is or para aduma, which is the Sabbath of the red heifer, because there is a custom to read the numbers chapter nineteen verses one through twenty two, which is the portion regarding the rite of purification through um, the red heifer, and so there. There's a statement that says that the teaching on the red heifer oftentimes comes with a paradox because the person who offers, the, the one who offered the sacrifice would become unclean um, in doing so. And as a result, this particular um, mitzvot would, is considered a hook or one that is hard to understand, but it has direct relationship to um our unilateral relationships, a hook. Um, and so we talked about it, that in Mishpatim, how there are different types of commandments. And so it makes no rational sense as to why the Lord is requiring this particular red heifer. But the red heifer had to be a, 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 a first of all, a female cow. That's what a heifer is. Um, it has to be without blemish, without defect, not even one white hair. Um, this cow had to be completely red all over, no white, no black hairs at all. Um, it oftentimes, the ashes of this was um, so sacred that it was considered like, like the, uh, one of the top sacrifices for purification. It, it was the required act to purify the temple after um, being desecrated. Uh, and during the second temple period, it was the high priest who performed this ceremony um, facing the temple while atop the, uh, the Mount of Olives. This red heifer would then be burnt in its entirety, kind of like an Ola. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, and even dung were to be burnt, unlike other Levitical korbanot. And unlike other offerings, all the blood of the sacrifice was to be burnt in the fire. So interestingly enough, the, these items were used to cleanse sin from sin or also from you know certain types of disease like the zarat or the one that people often um, translate leprosy uh, this blood was assimilated into the ashes of the sacrifice and they were gathered and mixed with water to create a the water of separation for the the cleansing water which was used for purification for women after um, our menses period so the, the water of purification or the nigda um, was utilized some of this blood of the red heifer. And I remember our prior rabbi um, explaining that when you burn the entire, you know, heifer together, if you've ever, he said he came from a, a long line of um, soap makers, it actually created a soap. The ashes of this red heifer created a, a form of soap. Um, and so 
this ritual purification process that was done for um, someone who had either gone through uh, a period of illness, the nida, uh, some defilement, so to speak, for example, um, touching a corpse. This ritual purification process was oftentimes the means for being brought back into community. So it was a, a uni very unique sacrifice. And as such, as we're preparing for Nisan, I am looking for the parallels. So how are we to become purified in our walk with Hashem as we prepare for the most sacred time of what is the Passover season and the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread? What is the purification steps that we're taking now as we draw near to Passover? That's good. Right? Um... Well, I think that will tie into some a thought that's been on my mind in the Haftarah portion where King David was rather upset with Adonai because a similar situation happened as they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. And a member of his team reached out to catch the Ark because the oxen had tripped and he didn't want the Ark to fall off the wagon. He wasn't supposed to. Um, touch it because he wasn't a priest and so he died yeah but they he also they it was king david's fault that the the ark of the covenant was on the wagon because hashem's order specifically stated that the ark of the covenant should have been transported with the poles. the poles mm -hmm. and so by not following the prescribed order he caused he could say he, he was the cause of this man's death yeah but once it, you know, it goes right back again in both ways, and both of those insights, there's a protocol, and the protocol is there for a reason. Now, was Hashem prophesying that one day there was going to be an ark on a wagon, and some guy was going to reach out to grab it, and I was going to have to kill him because he did it? Probably <laughs> no. not, mm. but you avoid certain situations from occurring when you go according to another protocol that was designed to avoid certain situations. Having the poles and having four people carry it meant that if one person tripped, three other people could hold it up. And you've got stability, just like your car's got four wheels. If one blows out, you've got three others that are on the road. You can at least get over, grab a substitute, whatever may have you. So we may not always understand why the rules are the way they are. And it go, going back to full circle to the beginning of this conversation, if you love me, you do my commandments. You follow the instructions because I asked you to do them. And in time, you'll learn how to understand some of the nuances behind it. But trusting that they were put in place for good and not just to complicate matters or ruin your life or whatever is part of the walking in faithfulness and intimacy, you know, part of the conversation. And an interesting component to that is that um, there is a difference this particular Shabbat between different communities on the Haftorah. Um, in other communities, um, Sephardic communities, it's Ezekiel chapter 36 that is read, um, and it's I believe it is Ezekiel chapter 36, 16 through 38. And it basically reads that um, what the children of Israel did in disobeying the order. Um, and the, their defilement of what his word was, was a way of profaning his name. And I'll just read just a few verses of this. So if you have time, please feel free to you know go in and read a little bit more. It, it ends, however, in the redemption of God's called out people from the four corners of the earth and the fulfillment of his promise to glorify his name using his people because by... Hashem dispersing them throughout the four corners of the earth. People were uh, looking at the what basically befell them, yeah. and they were basically in, in a way, or not basically, I keep using that word, but they were profaning the name of Hashem by saying, "Look what you know, look what's happened to His people." 
Okay. And so Hashem says he's going to turn their tide and turn their, their cause because he's going to use the same people, his same offspring, and he's going to show his name glorified and great in them. And so the act of purification of what happened through the diaspora to being sent out from the land um, as a result of disobedience is also going to be the means kind of going back to this process of the unclean, uncleanliness, going to cleanliness, then back into this sanctification process where you're being brought back into holiness. This is what happens when we disobey. We literally have to go back to like, you know, go back to the starting point. You know, once you were my people, now you have to go back to, although Hashem doesn't, you know, remove his covenant, he, he literally is like, okay, you have to go back through the process again. You have to be sanctified again. You have to go back to understanding what this was all about because you didn't understand when you were made holy, how that holiness and what that holiness came with and what that requirement to fulfill your purpose in this earth really meant and how it affected much more than just you and your disobedience. So I'm just going to read a few verses and hopefully you can read the, the balance. So 16 through, I'm thinking I'm going to stop around 2021. 20, so the word of the Lord came to me, O mortal, when the house of Israel dwelt on their own soil, they defiled it with their ways and their deeds. Their ways were in my sight like the uncleanliness of a menstruous woman. So I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they shed upon their land and for the fetishes with which they defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries. I punished them in accordance with their ways and their deeds. But when they came to those nations, they caused my holy name to be profaned in that it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord. Yet they had to leave his land. Therefore, I am concerned for my holy name, which the house of Israel have caused to be profaned among the nations to which they have come. So say to the house of Israel, thus said the Lord God, not for your sake will I act, O house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you have caused to be profaned among the nations to which you have come. I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, among whom you have caused it to be profaned. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, whom I manifest my holiness, excuse me, when I manifest my holiness before their eyes through you. I will take you from among the nations and gather you from all the countries and I will bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. Notice the process again. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanliness and from all your fetishes. And verse 26 says, and we repeat this in a renewed covenant in congregations and churches everywhere. And I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit into you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit into you. Thus will I cause you to follow my laws, my Torah, and faithfully to observe my rules. And that ends in verse 28, but there's 10 more verses that continue to expound upon this process of sanctification um, that is happening in the people of Israel and how God has fulfilled his promise and maintained his covenants through them and what that process of sanctification really meant for this movement that we now can come into and be engrafted to have this Torah written on our hearts, a, a, a heart no longer of stone, but a heart of flesh. Real, real purification, real transformation process. Mm -hmm. And that's the key, you know, it goes way past doing the right things for the right reasons, but also adding the, you've got the right heart, the right intention, the right desire, the right willingness to draw near, which goes all the way back to the Corbano. The purpose of these offerings was to give an opportunity for those of us, all of us that fall out of right standing with Hashem to be clean so we can draw near and regain that intimacy so we can continue to walk side by side. So it's all about this relationship. All that we do 
It's about maintaining this righteous relationship and remembering that first and foremost will help inform a lot of our decisions because we'll remember why we're doing what we're doing instead of just doing it because we've been doing it for so long. You know, what I thought was really um, good, and I don't remember the name of the ministry, but it was one of them yesterday, and I thought that was like a light bulb moment for me when he explained why the, the specific offering for um, the high priest had to be the, um, the oxen, more or less, and why the offering for the children of the Israelites had to be this goat. I thought it was very interesting, and I don't know if anyone else has heard this before, but when he explained that sometimes we still bear the guilt of our sin, we are reminded of it. And so the actual offering of the high priest of Aaron being the ox tied to the sin of the golden calf. And that particular act being the separation point, it was that the it was even if it wasn't something that he did purposefully or he intended in his heart, maybe he was trying to persuade the people as the rabbi states, you know, to not do a thing, but his hands were participated in it. That's what the scripture has to say, that he formed it. And so I think when he's now offering this um, gift, as was kind of shared in that connection last night when we were listening to the study, I thought it was very important that sometimes the Hashem kind of brings us full circle back to what created the separation to begin with. And for the children of Israel, the Israelites being the goat offering, it goes back to the, the, the separation offering in the household of when they decided that they were going to, you know, get rid of Joseph and they were going to slaughter the, the goats and dip his coat of many colors or tunic of many colors into that goat and to deceive their father. And they had to keep that lie for such a long period of time. And nowhere, and we kind of talked about this, you know, over a few weeks, nowhere did they ever apologize for it. That guilt remained with them to the point that even when um, their father died, they still thought that they were going to be recompensed uh, from Joseph for what they did. And so when Hashem now recommends to the body of Israel, the nation of Israel, the the sin offering being a goat, I it, it just like went full circle for me. It was just like, look at what God tends to do. It's like the thing that you think is is what makes you so guilty, that makes you so contemptible in my eyes. I'm going to tell you to use that symbol, use that, and I'm going to ask that you put that on the altar so that you can fully be brought near, brought back into relationship with me. And when we think about the, the renewed covenant and it says that Hashem became sin or Yeshua became sin for us, the thing that we did, that's what he became. The thing that created the separation, that's what he took on. That's exactly what's happening here every time you see these offerings being made. They are a representation of something that oftentimes we're not always aware of in, at the moment when they're being commanded. But when our soul and our spirit connects with this thing, we, we are brought full circle to, oh, this was the original separation that. And Hashem, in his wisdom, decided, no, we're not going to just leave that unresolved. We're going to we're going to clarify it all. You know, how did you, you know, use the seed that I gave to you? How did you use the bread? What was the first sin? Was it not about what, about food, about what you could and could not eat, what you could not, could and could not obtain? Wasn't that the first sin that created separation? Look how we now come and we bring the first fruit offering or we bring, think of all these things, you know, that we're now offering up to Hashem in these korbanot or in the sacrifices that you see throughout the book of Vayikra. Each one has a way of tying back into who is our true trust in and what was the thing that we did in the past that had created the separation. Let's bring it back to its right relationship and its rightful place. And let's 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 create a 
have never to let that happen again. Let's create a a clearance, so to speak, so that that now has been addressed and we can move forward. So I thought that was a, a, amazing. And I thought that that was like a, it was just like God anyway, because very often the answer to the bigger solutions and I mean, problems in our lives, oftentimes are in the problem itself. And it's like letting go of your way of handling the problem and letting Hashem give it you the proper insights and the proper view on this thing is the way to truly address it. It's not that the problem is going to just up and go away like, you know, puff of smoke that sometimes we wish that it did. It's more so that what created this problem we need to now address. Let's get to the root of it so that we this does not reoccur. Okay, that, that makes sense. And in a world full of busyness, it is increasingly challenging and yet imperative that we take that time apart. I know a lot of um, current teachings online, you know, wherever you see stuff, um, are talking about mindfulness and meditation and all that. In proper context, it's time spent back in Hashem's word, in his presence, in worship. Yes, um, taking time away is good. Taking time away with your own thoughts is going to give you the same results. <laughs> you thought yourself into a lot of situations. Sitting there reflecting on those same thoughts and wondering how you can do those again to get something different is like insanity, Einstein said. So get take some time, get back in the word, get back into that intimate space and hear what the Lord's saying. And before we close, it would be wrong for us not to touch on the clean and unclean animals part. I'm going to give a highlight. And I know Laverne has a lot more detail on me with this stuff since she's learned a lot more, but verse 11, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, speak to the people of Israel, saying, these are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth, whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews a cud, among the animals you may eat. And verse 9, these you may eat of all that are in the waters, Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. And so, and for the winged insects, yet, uh, verse 21, yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet, with which to hop on the ground. Now, there's a list of the types of animals that are unclean there's a list of birds and insects that are unclean and they were all there in chapter 11. one thing that i realized with a lot of these unclean they either were toxin eaters the vultures the pigs the um shellfish of the sea the, the lobster the shrimp all those things they clean the environment by eating the junk that are there or their predators the eagles uh um falcons all these things they they eat flesh vultures saying you know those types of things so to take the blood or the toxins poisons junk that they fed themselves on and then put it into your body is going right back full circle to what we were talking about about you went through all this process of being sanctified, of being set apart, so you can stand before the most holy God in holiness. And then you go and you take all of this sin and junk and put it right back into the body that went through this whole process to be cleaned. And it doesn't do you any good because it's not good for you to eat. It. It's not going to be helpful for your body to use it as fuel. So scientifically, spiritually, there's no benefit to it. What could you say to that? Um, I, I agree with you. Number one, it's not, it is. Um, verse 11, verse 24 reads in the NIV, and that is for eating them, or should they eat them, they should would be made unclean or um, tame. So I think it's like most people are not thinking about 
what Hashem was trying to accomplish. Um, so I'm going to give it to you in a way that was said in a movie that I thought was very um, clear. Mm -hmm. uh, not that the word of God is not clear, but sometimes people over uh, analyze something that's really simple. Um, in the movie Malcolm X, Malcolm X looks to Betty and says that whatever you put into the temple is either going to be assimilated, meaning aligned with you know the temple, or it's going to be um, dissimilated, unassimilated. Then. Um, for lack of a better word. And I know that there's a better quote in, um, for you guys that are movie buffs. But when I heard that, I was like, uh, how am I aligning myself with, you know, allowing my body to be a temple for Hashem to live in when I am, and I'll give you an example, when I'm defiling it with things that he already called impure. That's number one. He's called these unclean for me to eat. And then secondly, how am I, and I, I say this in regards to like our habits and my personal habits when I, I eat, how am I aligning myself with Hashem when I have habits that I quote unquote lust after and say I love more than the habits that he has ordained? In other words, I, I have become addicted to sugar or, or I'm eating things that quite frankly, I know it's harmful to me, but whether it be for my dietary needs or I've learned that the way that it was raised was toxic. It's they've ingested certain things into the production system that is harmful. And how am I maintaining my temple if I knowingly do these things? And I have to say that knowingly because I, I'm not saying that it's still not occurring if you don't know, but I do think Hashem does have an added level of protection and he'll continue to kind of guide those who don't know so that they can come into knowledge you know so that you are not defiling the temple so you can hear so that you can walk and so that you can be in unity but there are some of us that are knowingly being hard-headed about what he's already called impure or he has specifically stated is toxic to us and we are making this much more complicated than it really needs and by doing that, we have created our own separation. We've gone right back to uncleanliness. We've profaned what he had ordained to be holy. So it, it, our process of sanctification is constantly starting um, kind of from, from scratch, going, kind of going back to the place that where we should not be. Um, and it, by doing that, we are putting ourselves at a disadvantage because in our, even our behaviors, our spirit can't pray properly. It can't be drawn into, you know, connection with Hashem the way that it ought to. You can't even hear the voice of Hashem properly when you toxify or, you know, the body itself. The mind doesn't function the way that it ought to. Um, and I am concerned for our children because I think they have grown up in a world where the... All right, so I got cut off there for a second, but I'm concerned for the children. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm concerned that they are growing up in a world where they don't understand the the line that is being crossed between purity standards that bring one into holiness and what is unclean about the food choices that they're making every single day. They don't understand because what they're looking at in the world is well, it, if it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, then it's a duck. No, it's no longer a duck, unfortunately, because they've complicated how a duck is raised. If a duck is eating a duck, then it's not a duck anymore. You get what I'm saying? If uh, and it, That was not how it was ordained to function. If a cow is eating you know, cow um, parts, that is no longer a cow. Because it's supposed to chew the cud, yes, but it can't be a cow if it's eating ground-up cow meat. You know, we've heard of mad cow disease, but most of us don't take the time to find out what caused many of those things. And it is part of our food production system. Now, I can get into much more in detail about these things, but a lot of the things that should be pure, according to the biblical standards, are no longer being raised in a pure way. 
And because of that, our systems, people who are ingesting them are ingesting toxins that are not necessarily only physical toxins, but in a way impacting our spiritual connections. There is a direct spiritual lineage in regards to what we, how we obey Hashem in order to become holy in this process of sanctification. And so growing in knowledge, being aware of what you're um, part of or participating in also uh, by virtue of how we eat, what we surround ourselves in, what environments we place ourselves, who we connect ourselves with, um, all of those things are part of the purification standards that he goes through the book of Vayikra or Leviticus kind of clarifying. Um, and so the the Brit Hadashah portion this week where it says that um, it was considered, Jews had considered, you know, socializing with um, people of the world or uh, being in or fellowshipping them specifically with people of the world as the, an impure act because they felt that that would make them impure is kind of a way of talking about this act of socialization of impurity where we surround ourselves with impure thoughts, impure people, impure practices, and how that impacts our mindset, our way of doing things, our distinction between what is clean and unclean, what is right and or deemed righteous by Hashem. So a lot of these things, is, it, it seems blurred lines, but no, the, the path and the order has been consistent. We just are need to be more vigilant about following the order. Yeah, um, doubly agreed. And the more things look to be complicated, the more we have to wring all the extra water out of the towel and simplify things right back to its root. So in closing, I will read the last verses of this Parsha. Uh, verse, you know, it's from chapter 11, verse 44 through 47 just to get to the heart of the matter. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of our beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make the distinction between the unclean and the clean, and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. At the end of the day, God is holy. We need to make ourselves consecrated, set apart, so we can stand before a holy God. And sometimes it's not about ridding ourselves of being around people in an impure world, but they also need to see the difference that our lives bring so that they can be drawn to us, like hiding in our own little prayer closet and in our own kitchens is not going to help bring yeah. others into right relationship with Abba. You, you've got to get out there too, but you've got to be strong enough spiritually and physically that you can sit there and say, I can stand in my truth and not succumb to the peer pressure. Yeah, um, I think the, the term that was I shared just now needs to be clarified, fellowship as the Jewish standard had ordained in the first century temple was deemed um, a ritualistic purification. It was not something that was deemed from Hashem. And so what I was talking about is as you are associating, you know, like birds of a feather, that's more so. It doesn't mean that you don't have associates, that you don't go to work because they all have to be holy. You know, that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about ensuring that your community of faith, you, you're walking with a herd, a collective herd of fellow believers, like-minded people that understand and agree to follow Hashem as a community. And if you are walking at certain points of time alone, recognize that we weren't created to operate that way and 
by association, I mean, deep fellowship. This is someone that you share your ideas with. This is someone that understands your strengths and your weaknesses. Well, they, at least they can see it and they can cover you in prayer. Or if you're now the leader and you have someone, you can submit yourself to in certain circumstances for assistance because no man truly is an island and no man has been gifted or as the scriptures has out, been outpoured the Holy Spirit fully. So we all have separate gifts and we all do need somebody else's um, abilities because we collectively are one body. And that is how Hashem intended for us to be a blessing um, and a blessing and a unity, a unified body together. And that's what I meant by that. But thank you for also bringing that up because no, it does not make sense. You're absolutely right to think that you're going to be housing yourself like a hermit on a hill and that makes you more holy, far from it. So let's keep each other in prayer and encouragement and admonishment. If we're going the wrong way, you take instruction and we can turn back around. So thank you all for being with us. Shalom, y'all. Shalom. So as we conclude this podcast episode, we always encourage those that are listening to like, share, subscribe, and continue the dialogue with us. By all means, please feel free to share any of these sessions with anyone within your circle and those that you meet. May we all be enlightened by our studying together and learning of the word. And to reach us, our website is return.rest and email is call to the number two at return.rest. So by all means, send your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Let's see what we can do to keep making this something of great value to each other. And as we close, we will close with the Etzkayim prayer. Etzkayim hi. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Shalom, y'all.